0: Welcome to More Than Ink.
1: Ever found yourself stuck between a rock and a hard place? Oh,
0: yeah, where there's nothing you can do and everything looks horrible, there's no escape at all. There's no
1: escape, and you're totally outnumbered and outpowered. Yeah, and
0: at the time, I think maybe God's forgotten about me. Maybe this is all a mistake and it's an accident.
1: Or maybe God brought you there on purpose. On purpose? Yeah. Today. On on More Than
0: than Ink. Well, wonderful. Good morning to you. I'm Jim. And I'm Dorothy. And uh, we're excited. Boy, we're excited you're with us today because we are in a great spot in Exodus. The big crossing happens
1: today. But you know, every spot in Exodus is a great spot. <laughs> but this is the one that Exodus is if, known for. If you're looking for high
0: drama and images of Charlton Heston flashing in your mind, that's kind of where we are today. Very dramatic happenings going on today in the book of Exodus. So, yeah,
1: you know, I dare say everybody has a mental image of what this looked like, probably yeah, derived from yeah, the movies yeah, somewhere. Cecil B
0: DeMille yeah. tells us what this looks like. <laughs> but it's interesting there's enough narrative in here that even parts of what Cecil B DeMille did in his movies, you know, like with the water and stuff, it's it's actually written here. It says sort right, of So right. we'll see that in a second. It's, it's very interesting. So anyway, yeah, we are we're halfway through uh chapter 13 of Exodus and uh and just to recap slightly, so the people of Israel have gotten out of Egypt. They they're now these 2 million people plus all their animals are Trudging across out of Egypt, out of Goshen, and they're on the way to the Promised Land, and um, and so now we're it, it turns into kind of an on the road story from this point on. But it's actually an on the road story for the next forty years. But there was this little insertion at
1: yeah. the beginning of chapter thirteen about the dedication of the firstborn, and we won't take a lot of time to review right. that. But uh, but it's important to instruct the Israelites right there at that point yeah, yeah. because it's so fresh in their mind what God has just done. Yeah, and with taking the firstborn like in Egypt.
0: Any life events that we go through, you need to stop and say, you know, there's some there's some important mm-hmm. things to note right Let's here before this. you just go past it. So before right. you go past it, and then the particular issues with the Israelites here was the firstborn mm-hmm. and uh, the unleavened bread. So these have special importance. They're not just part of a story that happens, uh, and those aspects will carry forward forever. So go back and read it. So go back and read that. Yeah, we just (laughs) looked at that. Okay, so we're in uh, chapter 13, and uh, we're starting in verse 17. And uh, we come across this bizarre thing in the field there, this pillar of cloud and fire. So let's just, why don't you start reading for us? We'll pick it up right at 17.
1: Okay, yeah, there's this great big summary statement here starting in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Mm -hmm. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Sukkot and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. You want to stop there? Yeah,
0: that's good enough. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah got Before to we get 20. to the
1: pillar of cloud and fire.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is just a summary statement of where we are. You know, we, we've left Egypt. And uh, he tells us that instead of going what would be the natural route Right, the Israel, comfortable route. Yeah, from Egypt to Israel, which would be along the Mediterranean coast, which also, by the way, has Egyptian outposts because it was a well-traveled route for right. invaders and stuff right. like that, as well as bad guys.
1: Well, it was a well-traveled uh, trade route yeah. also.
0: Yeah. Yeah. and uh and so god knew that they would they'd come up against war they would be they had to fight mm-hmm. their way through that area so instead of the natural route which is the mediterranean coast we head out into the desert of sorts and i would encourage you listeners to
1: get a map at, out yeah. and look yeah. at this so you can see very clearly that the the comfortable easy route would have been just to track along the sea of the mediterranean up toward israel mm-hmm. but god, mm-hmm. it says deliberately god did not do that that's a huge important statement, right, in this summary. God did not lead them that way. He took them another way, right? So God is the one who is directing the direction they take.
0: Yeah, and not Moses, by the way. God uses Moses, but God's the one that's leading, which is fascinating because in in almost every tale of nations or armies or large things, you've got the king of that nation who leads out in front and is in charge. And by saying that God's the one that's leading, it's as though God is the king of these people, which is not an accident. Hmm. That's really cool. So
1: isn't it interesting that he, that here it says that they went out equipped for battle, but God doesn't want them to encounter doesn't war just that. yet.
0: Yeah. Because they'll start wanting to go back to Egypt. Right, and they're too close. Yeah. It'd be too easy to get back. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's, uh, you know, God understands the heart of his people. But it is interesting, uh, especially when you apply this to us, you know, could it be that God takes us into situations that are not the easiest or what looks like to us the most obvious path forward? Right. He takes us in a way that at the time we go, what is this? Well, that's what's happening here. But it's because God has a superior understanding of not only your own heart, but of the nature, of the circumstances that you're aiming into, that you don't know about, God's wiser.
1: And what he intends to show you or to do. And that becomes very clear in this story when God corners them between the Red Sea and the and the armies of Pharaoh. We haven't mm-hmm. gotten there yet, but, but we will. So I just want to point out that, that this little statement about Moses carrying the bones of Joseph the is not a throwaway statement. That's right, yeah. Right? That's how the book of Genesis ends, uh-huh. Uh-huh. with Joseph uh-huh. saying to his brothers, now, when you go up from here, take my bones. And Joseph was embalmed and put in a coffin in Egypt, but everybody knew where his grave was, and they took him they took his remains with them yeah. when they left According that country. According to his country. request. Uh, because eber says because it was he believed Mm -hmm, that they mm -hmm. would go and that god would give them that land and he wanted to be buried
0: there yeah and think what an incredible long-term testimony it was the people of israel in their captivity
1: 400 years for
0: 400 years those bones testified and said well someday we're going back because joseph said when you go take my bones and so i guess we're going back someday but that day's not today but in the Story right now, it is today. We're, we're and it's
1: interesting that you say we're going back because, yes, their their uh, forefathers came from there, right? They are right. all the tribes of Jacob. But uh, But, you know, this generation had never been there. They didn't no. know what no. was there. So for them, it wasn't really going to feel like going back. It was yeah. going forward into an unknown territory.
0: But they knew they were going to be leaving Egypt. It just... It seemed more and more impossible yeah. as the years went on. But there's the bones of Joseph. If the bones of Joseph are still here, we're going back someday yeah. and we're taking them with us. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, it made me think, too, as we just think about uh, where God's taking them to what looks like an impossible situation, a situation that you can't escape from. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of First Corinthians ten thirteen, where oh, it says, yes. You know that God God provides a way of escape. You know He doesn't He doesn't put on you more than you can handle. So uh, so even there, Paul tells us. You know God's got this all wired together. He knows how this is working. He knows the situation you're going into. You're not telling him anything new when you when you cry out to him about your situation or about your inability to handle it. He knows all that stuff. And sure enough, that's exactly what he's doing with Israel. Yeah,
1: it's really interesting to me that you should cite that here, that 1 Corinthians ten 13 passage, because the context of that is Paul is saying and has been saying in all of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, mm-hmm. all of that happened to them for our benefit and for our instruction mm-hmm. so that we would not do what they did.
0: Yeah, exactly. And
1: so that tells us this is a really important story, not just for the real people who lived it, but for all of us who are looking back on it.
0: For those of us that are reading it today. That's
1: right. There yeah. is something here for our instruction, for our benefit, so that we'll know that if it looks like God has backed us up against the Red Sea, God has a way of escape that mm-hmm. only he can provide.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Well, let's push oh, on. Yeah, yeah. let's push on. So, uh Hey, this is actually part of the logistical handling that God does for them in a gracious way in the desert. This <laughs> an amazing
1: thing. It's yeah. just stated so simply. It just yeah it just Starting comes in verse twenty one. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. There's a lot of repetition in that
0: little paragraph but it's paragraph. <laughs> just a couple of verses you, <laughs> you say to yourself what what is going on here you know if you've ever if you've ever walked in an exposed place like a desert, it's a tremendous problem because uh, you're not going to walk in the heat of the day at you know at noon because the sun is just so brutal on you. I mean, the sun is brutal, and then of course at night you can't see where you're going. So both of them are hazards. And so here God provides this wonderful, wonderful thing where He says, "I'm I'm going to be there. I'll be a cloud to sh- shield you in the daytime, right? Shield the sun from you. Wow, really. And at night, since we'll travel at night, which most desert travelers travel at night because there's no sun out. So this allows them to travel both during the day and the night, and without needing a map, all you have to do is follow. So it's one phenomenon, and in the daytime, it was
1: cloud of smoke mm-hmm. and in the nighttime it was a pillar of fire now if you know if you've ever camped and had a smoky fire you know that in the <laughs> daytime you see the smoke and you don't see the embers right but in the nighttime you see the embers and you don't see the smoke yeah but yeah. It, this is such an interesting visual image right a cloud yeah. is visible but you can't grab it right you can't hold on to it yeah it can conceal something it can also reveal something And it's moving. This cloud moves with them.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And then that that pillar of fire says it gave them light at night. Mm -hmm. Well, light is comforting. But fire also consumes a fuel, right? It's burning something. But with this phenomenon, there's no visible source for the smoke or the fire. And it moves with them. They didn't have to build the fire and say,
0: oh, go that direction, (laughs) right? So... Or they didn't have to trudge through the desert with torches this in their hands. This is a fascinating
1: yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, and how tall would it have to be for two million people to see the direction
0: of it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it had to be a tremendous relief to the to the nation as they're out there thinking, "Look, we're out here in the middle of nowhere," but you know, you say, "Well, but you know, we got this cloud. We have the visible presence of our God, right? And we have this light, which allows us to travel by day and by night. This is this is the." Visible practical presence of God in their midst, and uh, and this cloud slash pillar of fire will be uh, will be a persistent character all the way through Exodus,
1: all the way through the the yeah. wilderness, all yeah, the way through the wilderness. And then we'll see the cloud all the way through the Scripture characterizes, indicates to us the visible presence of God,
0: visible presence of right? God, right? When
1: yeah. they built yeah. the tabernacle, the cloud descended on it. Mm-hmm. When Solomon built the temple, the cloud descended on it jesus at his transfiguration we saw the cloud all the gospels record this and when jesus said when i'm coming back every eye will see me coming in the clouds the The presence of god so when you run across this term the cloud watch sometimes a very few times it just means the weather what's Mm -hmm. floating around in the sky Mm -hmm. but most of the time when you run into the cloud all the way through the Bible, it's indicating something to you about the presence of God.
0: Yeah, and it's it's significant that it's a pillar, and it's not pointed out very much, but I mean, it, it extends from the ground and it's goes column. straight up in the air. And the, the common notion of where God was was right, up in the sky. up in the,
1: up in the sky. So it, it, actually,
0: it actually showed, it says, well, you know, I'm going to lead you and I'm going to shelter you, and the, and the source of it is heaven itself, it's where God is. So it was just a great picture of God's nearness and His presence and His practical care for them. It's just, it's a wonderful thing. Okay, so we have that established, and uh, we jump into chapter 14. Sh- should I read? Yeah, why don't you? Okay. Um, chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, <clears throat> Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp uh, in front of Piachiroth, uh, between Migdal and the sea, in front of baal Uh, And you shall encamp facing it by the sea, by the sea. Hmm. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, They're wandering in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. And then I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And so they did so. They camped there.
1: Okay, so that's really important. God said the reason I've led you out here and backed you up against the sea is so that I will get the glory over Pharaoh, and the Egyptians will know. Egyptians I'm no. the one that did this yeah right so at first they misinterpret it. ah they're lost they're wandering they've
0: done something yeah they're stupid. stuck yeah yeah maybe their god is suddenly incompetent he doesn't know what he's doing he's led them up against water
1: <laughs> but if you remember back in chapter nine the lord had said now for this reason O pharaoh i've let you remain in order mm-hmm. to show my power in order to proclaim my name through all the earth right and that everyone will know that I am the Lord who yeah. reigns. So, you know, this is like the ultimate statement of that. I mm-hmm. will finally get the glory over Pharaoh.
0: Yeah, and you you wouldn't think this was necessary because after the 10 plagues, I mean, gosh, yeah. don't we know who God is and what he's like and his power, the extent of his power. But this is kind of this is kind of the last of it all. This is This is it, I I will get glory over Pharaoh. By the way, I don't think I mentioned this last time, you can correct me if I did, but this word glory in Hebrew always means heavy. So it's a weight kind weight, of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And if the weight is on you, it's, it's actually translated as a burden. But if it's the weight of something in your presence, it's our closest equivalent is the elephant in the room. There's some kind of big thing here. That's the idea here with this glory. God's going to say that, that I'm bigger and I'm heavier. I'm weightier than Pharaoh himself.
1: Well, in a sense, the weight of god is going to continue to come down on pharaoh right. as if it hadn't already yeah, that's right through yeah. the plagues on the whole country yeah
0: and the result is that all the egyptians will know who i am so <laughs> mm-hmm. even from the very beginning of this process <laughs> yeah from the beginning of this process it's all been about you know pharaoh saying back in chapter five oh i don't know your god why do you want me to do what you're saying well you know after this there won't be any doubt in anyone's mind who god is you know all the egyptians
1: or in the in the minds of the Israelites.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's push on and oh, yeah. see what happens. So, um, so they camped there. Actually, you'll notice in the in the phrase we just read, it looks like they kind of shot past it. They went past. it. They had to turn and come back to a particular spot. They kind of
1: ambled around. Yeah, they led ambled them around. To do that,
0: and God said, "Camp here." So God has set up the circumstance. He's set up the place. We're ready to go, and they're camped there in verse four. Okay, verse five. So. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. (laughs) And they said, "Well, what is this we've done that we've let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, and he took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pihacharoth and in front of baal zephon so he overtook them. So they are literally trapped. They are Backed trapped. up against the sea. They're backed against the sea. And, and it looks like all of the army of Pharaoh and all his chariots, including his 600 chosen chariots, right. that's his elite force, and then all the rest of the chariots. And some people have speculated perhaps his entire army. So
1: Well, and these, he's out to these guys are
0: whopping mad because they've all lost a firstborn. What were we thinking? Right. Yeah, exactly. They've
1: yeah. all been through all of this, and they're like, we are we're going to kill them.
0: Yeah, and this is a this is a massive army. I mean, this is a ma- this is the entire military might of Egypt, but they're out to to slaughter two million people. So they're going to go out there and work on it. They're going to take everything they've got, and they're out there with the intent, with a full army, of actually taking out the entire nation. it's going to be a slaughter. So they're out there. And they catch up to him where they are. And Pharaoh, according to the beginning of chapter 14, thinks that God's being silly mm. and he's having them camp in a very vulnerable place, which it is from a man's perspective. It's a very vulnerable place. You do not back yourself up against a wall like a sea. <laughs> Militarily, that's silly. So. Pharaoh goes after them, and he does indeed, when we get to verse to verse 9, he does indeed overtake them, and there they are, face to face.
1: Now, it's interesting that it says that the Lord, in verse 8, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh so that he pursued the people, right? Yeah. This, this event here, chasing them out to the Red Sea, is the last time we come across God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Now, it's going to be referred to again yeah. in chapter 14, but it's referring to this same event. God is taking credit here Mm -hmm. for Pharaoh's heart condition. He said, because I'm going to do something, I'm going to show myself. My glory will be unmistakably seen.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I find it too fascinating in a way how short Pharaoh's memory is from the ten plagues. Isn't it's like, that amazing? Because <laughs> he was saying like around verse five or six, he was saying, "So what were we thinking, basically? Why did we let him go? You know, yeah. what reason did we have to let him go?" And I think, well, I can give you ten good reasons why you let him go, and have you forgot that already? Yeah, you
1: know, this just drives home to me. We've talked a lot about the hardening of the heart, that a hardened mm-hmm. heart uh, is bent on its own way even to the point of self-destruction. Yeah, yeah. And we see that clearly in Pharaoh, right? His heart was hardened, now whether it was attributed to Pharaoh or to God or mm-hmm. it's or passively it just happened. A hardened heart resists the Lord and refuses to listen and eventually drives out his word because a hardened heart is bent on its own way. And it will ultimately wind up in self destruction.
0: Yeah, self destruction, which is a fascinating thing. And you get—I I think we've all experienced that kind of rage or that hatred where it's just blind, and you just do stuff.
1: Yeah, just determined
0: to do what you're going to do, just to kind of will not be deterred, just to work it out. And, you know, just do it. And uh, and if someone says, "Well, you know what you're doing It's probably not in your best interest." <laughs> And you know what? It never the time, stopped me. It doesn't stop you exactly, <laughs> and that's exactly where Pharaoh's right here. This is not in your best interest. You know, you're, if someone was going to counsel him, maybe his counselors did. They'd say, "Look, it's in our best interest to just let them go, because since we didn't do that, we suffered the death of our firstborn, mm-hmm. all those plagues. You know, they're just bad business.
1: Indeed, there was a time a couple chapters back when the servants of Pharaoh said, uh, "Don't you see? You've ruined Israel. They did. Let them go.
0: Let them go. So you would think his counsel would be, you know, we just need to." lick our wounds and let this go. But, but even in this hardening of the heart, there's, this is your pride that persists after this. And, uh, uh, this hardening of the heart at, for me, at least is closely tied to the idea of pride. There's Mm -hmm. something about when we overestimate who we are and while I'm doing this, uh, you know, because it's the principle of the thing, you know, I'm I need to prove that I'm actually a righteous person or something like that, that, that hardening ends up uh, elevating us and elevating our yeah, pride. I don't think pride. righteousness
1: had anything to do with it in this case. It was all no. power.
0: It, no, it's it was all power. power. But I mean, here, here, his reputation's been soiled basically by what God has done to them. So there's a there's a pride issue, and you know, in previous plagues we talked about the pride issue, and and his pride comes up. I think this is his last kind of uh, eruption of pride in his life, where he because says he
1: still has his army.
0: Yep, he right? still has Apparently, some power his, with his army. His
1: country has been decimated. Yeah. But he still has his army.
0: Yeah. And so... <laughs> So he does something that even he himself should know is not in his best interest. I mean, what if God chooses to bring plague number 11 on them? But it it doesn't seem to register in his mind that what he's doing is he's chasing a God who has proven himself to him already. He knows what God is like. Why in the world would you do this? And that's what a hardened heart, that's what a pride-hardened heart does. It disregards what you know is true about God and when you know what's true about your consequences from the bad behavior. It's a bad deal.
1: So, what are we what are we going to take home from this particular passage? Because this is a little bit of a short passage, but it introduces yeah. next week the crossing <laughs> of the Red Sea. Yeah, if but you're
0: if you're waiting for us to read the crossing, we're going to wait till next, yeah. next week. We're holding that for next week. But you know,
1: I, I'm walking away from this particular passage with two things. One, God had set this up right Deliberate. god deliberately yeah. brought the people into this cornered place where they could not rescue themselves mm-hmm. and only god would be able to deliver truly them truly
0: powerless yeah and
1: then the third thing is god was with them mm-hmm. god was with them in this demonstrably visible way right in the the cloud and the fire mm-hmm. they could not deny that this phenomenon was with them going before coming behind making himself known making his presence known yeah and we're going to see in the next chapter how he camps god camps between the israelites and the armies of pharaoh all night so nobody can go anywhere yeah, yeah. so you know god brings us into a situation where it's very clear to us that we can't fix it ourselves and only he yep. can
0: yeah and so do you find yourself in situations where you seem powerless uh, and does not and, just seem
1: powerless, <laughs> you genuinely are powerless. Yeah, well, well, in
0: fact, that's what keeps you up at night because you realize how right. powerless you are to meet the situation. Well, you, you're in those situations, and you and you then you often slip to the wrong conclusion, which is, well, maybe God doesn't know this is happening, maybe this was accidental. Maybe God's a little out of control, Or right He's here. not paying attention. He's or looking he's not the paying other attention. way. Or as the psalmist says, "Are you sleeping, God?" Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I think we we often move into this area in this powerlessness to think we're on our own and we're, and we're going to suffer and fail. And we have enough rationality and imagination to be able to imagine how bad it could become. And so that's what we dwell on. You know the the tip right here, from here forward, even in the entire Old Testament, is don't dwell on that. Dwell on what God has done and right. God will do on your behalf. What God and has so promised to do that, for you. That's why this is a touch point in many ways. This is why God constantly reminds him, "I'm the one they got you out of Egypt." So, when circumstances, you know what we what we call living by sight, we look at the sight of what's right. going on. When circumstances shout at you and threaten you, you do have a choice to either focus on them or to focus on the reality of the presence of God. Then they even had the advantage of having the cloud and the pillar there so they could focus on the presence of God. But we can focus on the presence of God too, even in the midst of those kind of super, super threatening circumstances. But just remind yourself, uh, uh, God is not out of control. And in fact, like what you just said, our circumstance may indeed be deliberately determined by god so that he will be glorified i've
1: brought you here to show you something you wouldn't see any other way
0: right this happened at the death of lazarus and yes, Jesus, that's a good example. Jesus allowed them to be have their back up against the wall with the death of Lazarus, and and Jesus says, you know, basically God will be glorified through this. But that means He deliberately allowed them to go through the trauma of death. Right. He deliberately allowed that, and He could have stopped that, but there was more at stake here than just saving life. There was about glorifying God, and that's exactly what we're seeing well, right now.
1: Well, that's here. what happened with the death of Jesus. Right? Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Uh,
1: the that they were backed up against the wall. Jesus was dead, mm-hmm. at which sets the glory of the resurrection in such stark contrast.
0: Yeah, so God will be glorified, and He demonstrates who He is uh, without any kind of qualifications no through the things he does <laughs> and this is what he's doing right here well we are out of time and we left you on a cliffhanger for next that's week that's right we've got our back up against the ocean we got pharaoh's armies facing in the face what's going to happen who's going to win how's it going to resolve do you know do you know we'll find out next week so we're glad you're with us and join us next week as we resolve this dilemma with their back to the red sea on the next episode of more many More than inc is a production of main street church of brigham city and is solely responsible for its content to contact us with your questions or comments just go to our website more <laughs> uh, okay that's hmm.
1: let's do it again
0: let's do it again